Hi, I'm Pablo. On um, this episode of Cinemazing Chats, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode One: Semicolon, The Phantom Menace. And I'm joined here with Erica, my co-host. Hi. And on this episode, we also have a special guest, uh, Joseph Quadrado, my brother-in-law, and a Star Wars fan as well. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome. Um, so let me just say this movie, uh, whew, this movie, it's, it's quite a lot to discuss. Um, I think this movie might be up there with The Room, where we could potentially discuss it for like hours and still have stuff to talk about, stuff to dig into. So I think it's really good for that. But I thought it'd be a good idea if we could just start by sort of giving our own interpretation of the movie when it first came out. You know, where were you? Uh, did you see it in theaters? You know, what was your initial reaction to it? Uh, so, Joe, you being such yeah. a guest, if you want to go ahead and give your take. Sure. Uh, so I will say I was the target audience when this came out. And I was in New Mexico, and I think I was like 10. Or actually, I was Anik, the actor's age. I was the same age as the actor, so I was eight. Um <laughs> And I, I saw it six times in theaters. <laughs> I, I dressed up as Jar Jar for Halloween. Yeah, right. so I have a huge attachment. Like, I played the video game on PlayStation, like, twice. Oh, yeah. So, uh, if anything, I am extremely attached to this movie. And watching it later, uh, I realize it's shortfalls. But I still love it. <laughs> Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll go next, if that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think I was around 12. Uh, so again, sort of the target demo, you know. I don't know what it is. Maybe executives are always like talking about 12-year-old boys. They're like obsessed with 12-year-old boys. It's like they're going to buy all the toys and all the other, all the other ciliary stuff. Um, and I just remember there being like a really long lead-up to this film. You know, the special editions had come back out. Uh, you know, that was my first time seeing all those movies in theaters. You know, I was a huge fan of that actually liked a bunch of the special edition editions like uh the stupid dance and return of the jedi i'm always like bringing up it's being hilarious um but it was like kind of a preview of where lucas was heading with phantom menace and this is where he like went all in and i think uh you know we can also think about uh, how much lucas films in general has contributed to like the art of sound design and uh you know cinematography and you know the integration of cgi uh but yeah, that's all big lead up for me to say that I really hated this film when it first came out. You know, that was my, uh, you know, first reaction when I'm just like sitting in theaters being like, hmm. Uh, but since then, you know, over the years, I think I've cooled down considerably on it. And, you know, I think maybe I overranked some of the other prequels and kind of underranked this one. And we'll get into the reasons why. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I do rank this one a little higher now. Uh, Erica? Um... Let's see. Well, okay, so what I realized while watching this movie is I thought maybe I didn't even see it at the time because I didn't really care about Star Wars uh, franchise. Um, but it turns out, as I was watching it, it dawned on me, I saw this movie because of the Weird Al parody song, and I was into Weird Al in elementary school. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that song was huge. That was everywhere as well. Yes, so that, yeah, I think that I remember see, even seeing the video being played on MTV or something, <laughs> H1. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting, didn't the song maybe predate the movie slightly? Like, I think Weird Al had kind of extrapolated a lot of the plot, just like from the trailers and stuff. Yeah, and I think he was able to, yeah, basically just release it right away because he had already had it ready to go or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> it was simultaneous, so I must have seen it 
but my parents said I did not see it in the theaters with them, so I don't know when or where I saw it. <laughs> so you probably saw it on the VHS or something like that. Yeah. So uh, something that I think is really interesting about that is Weird Al kind of dresses up as Obi-Wan Kenobi in the music video. And I think we'll get into this more later, but Obi-Wan's basically sidelined for the majority of this film. You know, he like has a big part in the beginning, and then he basically sits in the car, is what we were joking about, uh, for the majority <laughs> of the film. And then he has this big fight at the end. So he's basically kind of a non-entity in the movie, which I think is a really strange and baffling decision. Uh, and I think that's even, uh, I think in the original script, he was supposed to be in it throughout, but they decided to refocus it on Qui-Gon or something like that. Um, but just going to the film itself, you know, my first sign that things are maybe a little bit troubled was in the opening crawl when they start talking about the taxation of trade routes and the blockade and all this stuff. Um, and something that never really occurred to me until this rewatch. So if we think about the original movies as being sort of like a World War II analog, you know, the Nazis and all that stuff. I kind of think this one is sort of about like the earlier era, like the 1930s imperialism and all that um, mixed in with uh, probably some of that trade embargo stuff from Cuba and all that stuff from the 60s that uh, George Lucas is so fascinated with. Yeah, but so two questions that I think we'll return to throughout this podcast are first, you know, what is the Trade Federation? Uh, you know, literally, what is it? And then I think this movie goes a lot deeper into like what Jedi Knights actually are and how they operate. Like, if we read the opening crawl, you see it's the Supreme Chancellor that sent them out to have this discussion with the Trade Federation. Mm -hmm. So, it does expand in interesting ways, and maybe troubling ways as well, what these worlds are. Um, well, yeah, I definitely, like, learned a lot, but not from this movie. It was from Googling all this stuff afterwards. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, I didn't realize that, like, the Jedis were, like, the peacekeeper. They're, like, the UN peacekeepers or something. I don't know. Right, exactly. It's maybe, um, like, uh, NATO or the United Nations. Yeah, it's literally, like, written in there. It's, like, um, while the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming <laughs> chain of events. So it's basically, like, hilarious that it's setting it up as being, like, endless and fruitless. And then they just keep showing scenes of that. That's kind of funny. Right, uh, and I think the part where this film really falls apart is where it becomes kind of C-SPAN for, for a big chunk. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember hearing about George Lucas when he was developing these films. So, like, after Return of the Jedi came out, and Return of the Jedi is kind of like the Vietnam War because right. the, the little... Uh, the Ewoks. The, the Ewoks are, are like the Viet Cong almost, and they win. Um, guerrilla warfare <laughs> i think what he was doing with this one was kind of like the war in bosnia how the world oh. was the world was like they saw the destruction and the un was right. just doing committees about it and nobody was oh. doing anything about it and so george lucas was really making these like um these trilogies as more of a political thing as opposed to uh, focusing on the war, at least at this point. And I think that's why we see a lot of the really boring stuff is because right. he lived through this, seeing like genocide after, maybe not genocide after genocide, but like conflict after conflict. And and as us as a world didn't do anything, you know? Um, because- That's a really good point. Yeah. You even see it in the Senate scenes. Like they- the Trade Federation is denying it. They're like, there's no proof. And it's like, <laughs> it's happening, you know? Right. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's something that I have a big problem with, especially, you know, we all know that the Star Wars fandom right now is incredibly toxic. But it's also all these people who would be like, you know, take politics out of Star Wars or Marvel or this and that. And I'm like, politics are literally baked into Star Wars. Like, it mm-hmm. is political from the beginning. It's about rebellions against these, you know, huge autocracies and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find that really to be a bad faith argument. Um, but you really see these movies sort of come to life in a certain sense, you know, following 9-11 and the War on Terror, when these movies really become analogs for, you know, especially Revenge of the Sith is about George Bush. Like, that's who the Emperor is supposed to be. Uh, you can kind of model that after them. Uh, well, that's what I thought was interesting is, like, I had rewritten kind of in my memory this post-9-11 interpretation, but this movie came out in 1999 before that, yeah. and they have the guy trying to take war powers or whatever, which is, a, I guess, a tale as old as time. Um <laughs> But I had interpreted it this weird way, like, so I guess Googling the, tr- yeah, the Trade Federation's, like, a conglomerate or something that got senatorial oh, yeah, representation. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's literally like a corporation that has a senator as a representative. Uh, <laughs> oh, and we should also get into how Queen Amidala makes no sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was like, wait, okay, so the Trade Federation, they took someone's Thai accent to be these aliens, so... <laughs> Maybe it's supposed to be oh, Asian. I think I read that on the wiki that it was they used someone's accent. They were like, "We want that accent." Um, wow. And um, interesting. But I was interpreting it as the trade federations, like the U.S. doing like an embargo or something on Cuba, and then like the UN yeah. is basically yeah the Galactic Republic. Useless. That's kind of just a puppet of the. US or something. I don't know. I, I But I guess my interpretation was all over the place because it was this post 9-11 lens and yeah. Well, talking about the Trade Federation for a second, you know, there are two representatives, there's two aliens. I don't even know their names. Um, <laughs> I will say I did really like their outfits. Like I was just like, completely ignoring the masks and just like the outfits are quite well done. Um, but yeah, just going into the accents of it all. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's so strange because I know George Lucas has a huge fascination with like Akira Kurosawa and Japanese filmmaking to the point where Obi-Wan Kenobi was originally supposed to be played by a Japanese actor uh, from Kurosawa Films, but the studios didn't go for it. So it's so strange to see Lucas go from that and you like kind of a positive interpretation to then, uh, you know, Temple of Doom, see previous episode, uh, and then this film where... Like, it wouldn't be so bad if Jar Jar was speaking in a Jamaican accent. That'd actually be kind of cool, maybe. Uh, and it wouldn't be so bad if these Trade Federation characters were talking in, like, a like a realistic Thai accent. I don't know. They're kind of speaking in, like, a pigeon English, like, racist, I will say, just like a very racist-sounding interpretation. I don't know. Again, I think uh, Lucas was really inspired by these 1930s serials. I think this one may be a little too inspired, like he really was trying to bring it back to like Flash Gordon and like, you know, uh, the, the bad guy in that one's extremely racist depiction as well. So it's like maybe well-intentioned things that then spiral out of control. And I think you also see that in, um, well, just the general design, uh, you know, I think this is kind of his insecurity. Like he has these extremely adult thoughts on his mind, these extremely adult themes and topics, but he tries to bring that all into this very like kitty package probably to sell toys, because looking at the original trilogy, that's where they made <laughs> their millions, selling merchandise, uh, which again is probably where Return of the Jedi is kind of the more cartoony one of the three. But yeah, just talking about some things that are sort of positive for this film for, for a little bit, uh, you know, I thought the 
like the fact that they shot on sets for the majority of it, like basically every scene I was kind of tracking is like, that's a set, that's a set, that's a set, you know, extensions with the green screen windows or whatever, but I still a set using actual outfits, you know, in the sequels, they start doing like CGI stormtroopers and all of this and that, you know, kind of cutting corners. And then um, the music is extremely good. Like the, the John Williams soundtrack, like he's bringing his A game to the point where like, I think he sort of stole some of his own themes for the Harry Potter movies. Uh, or, or I'd even say like, I'd love to see the movie that John Williams was scoring to, but I don't really think of this movie. Uh, I think by far the best the best song is the Duel of the Fates song that kicks in towards the end. Uh, you know, I think Spotify will probably kick us off if we actually clip a se- uh, little sequence from that. But uh, Erica, if you want to give you a little interpretation of the beginning of that song, which oh, I think yeah. is the best part. Oh, the... That was like the main thing I got from watching this movie. Yeah, it's where the doors open up. It's like... And just like kicks in. You're like, holy crap. And then they have this choir that just keeps going. It's like... Yeah, I think that and the pod racing are legitimately the best scenes in the movie. And I don't know if I can even really say that about the sequels. Like, I, I don't know what the best part of Attack of the Clones is, for example. There wasn't any pod racing in those movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and the fact that they're using models for the ships, like, I think, throughout. So I will say that I, I heard this interesting idea about George Lucas and that everything that he did whether it was Indiana Jones, whether it was Star Wars, whether it's his first movies, student films, oh, yeah. they all felt different, you know? And that's something that I think he really did well here is that this doesn't feel like any of the other movies he did. It is yeah. it is its own thing. And <laughs> I, I respect that. There, that was a criticism of the new trilogy, you know, with Ray and um, all those other characters. Um, but yeah, this one, he, he did his own thing and, uh, you know, 10 year old me loved it. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's a really great point. And I think that's something that like the millennial fans of this movie, you know, like the younger generations that kind of go to these movies and say, actually they're good. Um, I think that's something they really latch onto that exactly what you're saying. They did something completely different. And, and as you were saying, that's also a problem that sequel trilogies fell into where force awakens is basically a remake of a new hope. And then you can say the same thing about The Last Jedi, kind of being like Empire Strikes Back, and then uh, the other one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Oh, another thing I like is that the lightsabers are a lot more consistent in this one, and they look a lot better. Um, Like, uh, they always have that colorful corona, which is really good. Dude, those lightsaber fights are so good. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they stepped it up. And I think it's not just that, it's also sort of expanding what the power set of the Jedi is. You know, this is really Lucas being like, okay, this is them at the, you know, the the most triumphant part of their cycle. So they have, like, the speed running, they have, like, the high leaping ability. And there's a part at, near the end where Obi-Wan falls, like, three stories, and he just, like, jumps up, back up, no problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and just, like, the uh, choreography is a lot better, and I think that kind of has to do with Ray Park, the actor who played Darth Maul, actually being like a very skilled uh, martial artist and a, and a fight choreographer so he could bring his bacon. So speaking of him, he had like two lines. Oh, yeah, no, that's something I wanted to bring what? up. I'm pretty sure in the scripted version he had like a bunch more lines and then either maybe they thought he wasn't a very strong actor 
or, or maybe the voice. I don't really know why, but they cut out the majority of that. Yeah, so we have two yeah, somewhere in the wiki, it definitely said, like, someone else was cast as him and then left when they cut the lines because then they're not, like, mm-hmm. a line, you know, they were, like, a oh. famous actor or something, so. Yeah, um, uh, I forget his name, but it's the guy who played the Tick in the most recent version, uh, and he's in the Shaun of the Dead movie as the, the irate housemate. Yeah, it's that guy does the voice of Darth Maul. He's actually an awesome guy. Uh, I think my cousin's worked with him a lot. But yeah, I don't, yeah, so I didn't even remember he had any lines, actually. <laughs> what did he even but say? But I think that's a big flaw. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big flaw of this movie, too, is, like, if you look at the original trilogy, uh, A New Hope, Darth Vader isn't really the main villain of that. It isn't until Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi that he kind of takes the four, and he's, like, you know, searching for his son and connection to his past, uh, which Marvel's done a great job of filling in on the comic side um, more recently. But yeah, they could have done the same exact thing with Darth Maul and had him like kind of grow and change as the sequence progressed. Maybe come back with robot legs. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have much of all that stuff. I just want to say this movie was really making me think about Palpatine because so Big there's house. two. So he had to have killed his master, right? Because he's now the master. So that probably didn't even happen that long ago. So he's like super badass. And then he is going through apprentice after apprentice after apprentice. He gets Darth right. Maul killed. He has Count Dooku next. Then he gets Anakin. There's someone else in the in the, in the cartoon show, too. There's someone else Soul mixed Lady. in. Oh, my God. He's just yeah. cranking through the... <laughs> this guy is like the... Oh, and, uh, yeah, Dooku. And, and Snoke. Grievous, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he has all... Anyways, this guy is just, like, outlasting everyone. Like, he killed his master, and he's outlasting all his apprentices. Well, it's kind of interesting. Maybe the real flaw is that he's a Sith who doesn't follow the Sith tradition, really, because I guess the idea of the Sith is that they're always two, like a master and apprentice, and then the apprentice is supposed to take over the master. But it's that he just wants to cling to life forever, doesn't want to give up his, like, station of power. That's, that is actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's a question I want to ask. Who do we think the Phantom Menace is? Well, that's... And there might be multiple answers. Him, right? I mean, I thought it was Darth Maul when (laughs) I was a kid. Seeing it now, it's Darth Sidious. It's open to interpretation for sure, and I think it could either be, you know, it could be Palpatine, you know, hiding in plain sight as the senator who was obviously the emperor, because we know that we've seen the other movies. Um, It could be Anakin, you know, this little boy who, I think in the movie, you really see how he's, like, very clever and how he's, like, he kind of tricks or manipulates people subtly into showing him things that maybe they shouldn't be. Like, he has someone show him how to fly a plane, and that immediately play, pays off in the big ending, where he's, like, mm-hmm. flying this, like, starfighter. Uh, or maybe he's, like, subtly manipulating Qui-Gon or whoever, Watto, to, like, free him, give him his freedom. Um, or it could be Jar Jar, and here I want to turn to you, Joe, because I know uh, you've had this theory for a really long time about Jar Jar and his place in this whole thing. So... Yes, Jar Jar, I love him as comedic relief. I still like it. It it does break the seriousness of the political stuff. But, like, at the end, they make him general. Like, what are his credentials? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and like he he was banished, too. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it, so, so he goes from being banished to, like, running in conveniently oh. to Jedi. Then... He, they need a guide through the Earth's core. Do you think Jar Jar's been through the core? Like, come on. <laughs> and so they, they get him there, 
then they could have just left him in Naboo. Like, why did they take them with him to Coruscant? And then, yeah, it's just coincidence after coincidence. And then Jar Jar himself just seems to be all lucky, you know? Like, he has these moments where he, like, accidentally releases these bombs, accidentally, like, kicks around the droid. Yeah, and he never dies. And then we learn later, like, he enables the whole ascension of the chancellor to a dictator, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a point I was going to bring up, actually, is that he's always conveniently there when people are, like, making decisions yeah. to a vote of bad faith or, like, to elect special chancellor. Yeah, who who selected him, you know? It, it just feels Nobody. off. There. <laughs> Wasn't there literally a line where Qui-Gon was like, I don't know how we ended up with this guy kind of, like, sarcastically annoyed that he's there? And it's like, how does, why is he there then? I don't know. And you can see some of the influences in Jar Jar. You know, I think he's definitely supposed to relate to some of these silent film uh, stars like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Um, you can even think of something like Jackie Chan. Uh, and I think if Lucas wanted to say this character, forget all the CGI stuff, just cast Jackie Chan doing his whole shtick. <laughs> but yeah, something about his involvement in all these different like high seats of power is very suspicious. And I think he definitely is drawing from a Kira Kurosawa archetype, or maybe like a Shakespearean archetype, like this fool who's really like very smart and just uses this foolish presentation, or like uh, the drunken master or something like that. So on top of that, he is surprisingly physically uh, amazing with his leaps and bounds and the way that he like dodges (laughs) things. Like he dodges lasers. Like I've only seen Jedi do that. Uh, Hmm. And so it just... Or a Sith. (laughs) Or a Sith, you know? And and then, yeah, he, he has this connection with um palpatine who's from naboo you know like Uh it is it it's there you know how the heck your detective mentality he becomes senator dude like how there were no gungans in the senate like what how did that happen so anyway he dooms the republic which has lasted for a thousand millennium Wait, yeah, so I, oh my god, I don't even know, hold on, I was gonna say, actually, I had <laughs> so that many. thought, yeah, there's so many things, on back. I had that thought, like, did the, do the Gungans vote for the one senator they get, or, like, why was the human Must guy, be. the land dweller, the senator, or whatever, um, uh, what's his face, but yeah, Sidious, basically, was the senator. No. Oh, the other guy. Yeah, he was the senator from Naboo, oh my god, but anyways, I was gonna say that that is actually a good foil to it makes a lot of sense because this movies love duality um and that would be the perfect foil to anakin being like oh whoopsie i just saved the day oh whoopee <laughs> and like literally that's jar jar being like oh whoopsie i caused the fall of the republic <laughs> <laughs> maybe there were hints more hints in the original script treatment and then lucas was like i'm tipping my hand too much i have to make it more subtle <laughs> I don't know. It is like, uh, you know, people like to give Lucas a lot of crap, but I think he is actually a really smart guy, you know, underneath it all. I mean, he, like, mounted several super successful franchises, and then he also made uh, Howard the Duck. Yeah. He has failings, for sure, but, like, I I remember reading a biography on Lucas just, like, two years ago, and uh, you're right. Like, his he was a, a genius in, stu- in his... Uh, 
university you know like his student <laughs> films oh, yeah, are yeah are awesome and inspired just a new way of of filming and he was always just a pure pure talent like he loves the filmmaking process not necessarily great at everything though. should have had another person on dialogue <laughs> as you can see in the next one yeah uh, actually one of his early films which people don't really think about anymore th checks 1138 um is really interesting and political uh, i've never actually seen it but i know it had a big influence on andor for example like the look of it and another interesting thing to think about you know i think lucas had said for a while if we look back at the original trilogy the whole thing with A New Hope and those movies is they were supposed to be the middle of the story he had had planned out. Or at least that's what he always said. But I doubt he had, like, this beginning part that filled in. I think what he basically had was, you know, the fall of Anakin, this great Jedi, into the darkness. And then, uh, you know, the big fight at the volcano. I think that had been teased for years. That people had just been hearing murmurs of that. And then, you know, he basically goes back and has this whole idea about midichlorians which we can also get into. I just uh, wanted to suggest that as the fa as the last suggestion for what the Phantom Menace is, the midichlorians. The midichlorians? Because mm -hmm. you can't see them, yeah. <laughs> and they're causing this battle that's like destroying the universe, yeah. Yeah, if we just look at these movies, the midichlorian idea isn't that great, but then apparently had a whole idea for a sequel trilogy, which would have been like, basically sounded like Quantum Mania where the heroes would have been shrunk down and gone to the world of the midichlorians. They would have been like humanoids who live inside people and kind of control their actions somehow. You're kidding. Uh, so I think there's something <laughs> a lot deeper to this midichlorian stuff than than just like, oh, they're mitochondria or they're things in our cells or whatever. Wait, did you hear ever hear about the expanded universe um, where they talked about um, justifying Sidious? Basically that he knew of a power outside of the galaxy that um, was better than us, like, was, or excuse me, was better than them, was unaffected by the force. So Jedi yeah. couldn't, couldn't defend against That's them. Uh, yeah, and they, they do come after the events of um, Return of the Jedi and stuff. And they are like, they're not technolog technological, they're like biological. So they have like biological spaceships, biological armor. And um, it's like the counter to the force users. And that was an interesting thing because it almost like justifies the, the, the means to the end that he's trying to defend the galaxy mm. by, by making the empire. <laughs> So it's, that is actually really interesting. It's too bad that none of that like was kind of represented on the movie. Yeah, Disney didn't want it. <laughs> but it's also... No, I think, uh, I mean, this is the long arc of the Emperor, right? Like his whole fascination with life and death and like how he has power over death to the point of now with Rise of Skywalker made it canonical that he somehow evaded being evaporated by like the fusion core of the second Death Star and like <laughs> was fine. He's just fine. But if they had explained that, you know, figured out a compelling explanation, that could have been really cool. Uh, they didn't, but, but we're not talking about that right now. Um, why don't we talk about Queen Amidala a little bit? Or, or sorry, or... Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I also want to talk about, like, what does it mean bringing balance to the Force? <laughs> because I just go right, in circles big... about what this is, and <laughs> this movie made it more confusing. 
Well, actually, this is something that uh, uh, Janet, my wife, is always talking about, is that, you know, what is the endgame of the Emperor and the and the dark side and all that? It seems like they just want control and death and destruction, but, like, that isn't actually a goal. Like, that's just, like, being evil. But that's not... Like, I guess, I guess it's just commentary on, like, our actual institutions and how they, like, fall into corruption. I don't know. It's, like, basically Caligula or something with one of these horrible Roman emperors. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the the balance thing. I've I've wondered that as well. Like, what the hell do they think the prophecy <laughs> Jedi that are good and they're no right. Sith isn't balanced? Like bringing the Sith back, killing like, all of those Jedi. Yeah. But then, but then another layer is that they thought the Sith were gone for a millennium, but clearly they were training one after the other, and that's why mm-hmm. Darth Sidious exists. They still had a lineage, so they were never really gone. So is bringing balance to the force getting rid of them and so anakin killing his master did bring balance and yoda was wrong and (laughs) (laughs) i you know i think this goes back to what one of the topics you had pablo of why is qui-gon immoral so like you can see that the jedi have kind of lost their way they've become a political arm and they're not necessarily (laughs) like peacekeepers anymore uh and maybe that's what balance is is like the jedi traditions are no longer serving the thing that they were supposed to serve so like mm-hmm. maybe that changes it and that's something that i i really respect ryan johnson for contributing to the last jedi uh and i'll put my cards on the table i really like that one uh, but there's the whole thing where you know luke says exactly what you just said that you know these books just represent the jedi you know losing their way into like allowing this great Sith Emperor to rise in the middle of their ranks at the height of their power, I think he says. Um, so yeah, one interpretation of the prequels could literally be that it's Luke reading the, the journey of the will, the journal of the wills or whatever, the history, the prehistory of, of what he experienced and like realizing that, yeah, the Jedi were maybe not that great or needed to change. Hmm. But yeah, Anakin does essentially, I guess, bring balance at some point by like getting rid of these corrupt Jedi then killing the Emperor then allowing his people uh, you know look at all the killing stars. all the younglings <laughs> D- did you guys watch Clone Wars at all like the actual series no if you have any insight to that I'd love okay so so that's like six pretty solid seasons of character development for Anakin like right. he's actually a legitimately cool character in that Whereas in the movies, you see kind of like whiny guy. Well, I mean, little kid, little kid little here. Doesn't know how to act. Yeah, whiny guy in the next one. And then like... Uh, Immediately giving over to the dark side. Yeah, then did, where he's like, oh, nobody understands me. You know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> Angsty dude. Um, right. But yeah, in, <laughs> in Clone Wars, you can really see how he he grows into like a good jedi and, and him and obi-wan are actually friends whereas in this series yeah they at each other all the time yeah that's right and so he grows to be a great jedi and you he gets um let down by the jedi masters repeatedly mm-hmm. so they repeatedly take actions that are not in the best interest of who they're protecting and he sees that right and the jedi themselves as previously mentioned like hadn't been that well established so here we see they're almost like samurai or like 
you know, almost like clerics or something like that. Like they are forbidden from having emotional attachments. They're forbidden from marrying or having romantic attachments. You know, all the stuff that clearly Anakin is like rankling against. And Luke as well, I think, uh, especially in the original expanded universe, he eventually has a wife, kids as well, I think. So yeah, we see that uh, maybe Anakin has legitimate gripes. And he's right, Sam does suck. <laughs> and is the worst. Oh yeah, so could we talk about Queen Amidala for a moment? Um, so first of all, I don't understand how Naboo politics work. Because I've never seen anywhere where Queen is elected and then, you know, voluntarily leaves that position. I don't think that's how royalty works generally. Um, but also, I just want to talk about the look of her whole outfit is really good. You know, it's kind of Chinese porcelain design uh, that you see throughout, or maybe maybe like Japanese influence as well, like Asia. Oh yeah, no, I was just like always so confused and I literally just was realizing today that I thought that, okay, so I did not realize that every planet or star system gets one senator. So I think all this time I thought that that she was just one of the senators of Naboo, but no, she's just a queen, which is different from the guy who's the senator who's Darth Sidious or whatever. Um, and so that's why they're like working together and she's just going there to like present the case to the Senate or whatever. Anyways, but yeah, so she does her own politics to the side, but she's not part of the like, you, there's a, a unicameral Senate in the Republic. They don't have a, a house or something like a, any sort of proportional representation <laughs> in case you were oh, wondering okay. about the <laughs> politics. <laughs> it, to me, it looks as though the way that they set it up was exactly what you're talking about there's only one chamber and then each if we imagine it like how we're set up in the united states they have states and the governor for the state and so she's like a yeah she's like a governor i guess um whereas the senator is literally that just the senator to the overarching uh federation i don't know what the heck they call themselves right and maybe and i think this is kind of a problem trying to like map what we have to like this universal scale it doesn't quite scale up that way yeah i i also remember looking it up in that she's like they're elected for a certain term and then they and then that right. term ends i've never heard of that but i do know that at least that city that they show looks a lot like greece in many yeah. ways or I think they mostly shot it in um Oh the you said Venice maybe before? Yeah, they mostly shot it in Venice and I think probably took a lot of their design influences from like the Venice of like Shakespeare's era. Yeah. Which I'm not that big a fan of to be honest. Like I don't really like the outfits they wear, though I do appreciate all the work that went into them. <laughs> yeah, no, the wiki has a whole thing because we kept talking about the like they would just have scene upon scene in the Republic Capital Coruscant or whatever of just like look at these people sitting around in outfits and there's like this whole thing about the costume designer and it says that um lucas decided to make even more elaborate costumes uh than he could make in the original trilogy so they just had like Mm -hmm. essentially a huge wardrobe department to create over 250 costumes and 5,000 different ones for the background so they just went hog wild with the costumes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've read up about this as well, and it's really impressive, and I think you can kind of also see Lucas being spurned by all this effort and being like, I'm never doing that again. I'm just gonna, like, kind of mail it in for these next two. 
Um, but yeah, it's literally like they poured hundreds of hours probably to each outfit, you know, coming up with a bunch of fake alien languages, probably coming up with a bunch of like alien designs of like the background characters. And it kind of reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. Like I know they went into like that insane level of detail for that too, but that I think pays off in those movies. Whereas here, you're just kind of like, okay, it's like nice window dressing that doesn't really mean anything. Or I don't know. But yeah, Lucas loves people sitting around talking in councils. <laughs> I, I like was one of those kids that got like the visual encyclopedia and stuff. And I remember uh-huh. they, it expands on those things. So like Anakin has under like, there's a lot of symbolism there. He has under his shirt, like this, this, um, Oh yeah. That like weird, uh, like yeah. In, thing. Interwoven thing. And it was supposed to be this, um, part of his heritage or something on, on Tatooine and only slaves use it. And it was an interesting mm-hmm. thing that, uh, that if you look into it, you, you, it's like you're saying, you can appreciate a lot of the detail that went into, uh, the work it's just kind of superfluous, you know, for the story. Right. Or there's that little uh, wooden thing that he goes to, to Amidala that she's eventually buried with. That's, like, so important. I Okay, and also, I just want to say, I can't believe that Amidala didn't even care enough to go back to get the kid's mom. Like, what? No one ever went back for his oh. mom? <laughs> That's what I was going to talk about. I feel like slavery <laughs> is a really strange thing to suddenly impose on this universe. Uh, and I think a lot of this is kind of like... Lucas was consciously trying to reflect, like, Cecil B. DeMille, all these, like, big epics from, like, the 50s and the 60s, uh, you know, uh, and just get that, like, epic tone, you know, Lords of Arabia, you know, all these movies with, like, this scope and this, you know, big feel. I think he, that's why he wanted to differentiate it. Because his movies have essentially always been independent until the Disney era. Um, so you can see, like, Lucas trying to, like, stretch his budget out and, like, trying to flaunt his style. So it is interesting. But yeah, uh, the most we get about slavery in the previous movies was just slave Leia and like the implication that Jabba has other slaves and it's a very strange thing to suddenly find Tatooine. Yeah, the um the slave thing was interesting. The way that I took it was how here in the United States it's like, oh, but it's been outlawed, you know? And then if you were to find out oh. that there was modern day slavery somewhere else, it's like, well that there's or like no children working in uh, coal mines. Yeah, they're not no one's here to enforce it the outer rims mm-hmm. uh no that's a really good point um and wait is tatooine tatooine is where all the other skywalkers were right <laughs> ray was yeah there too. that's where luke and eventually ray ends up there somehow okay it's in the mandalorian and there for a good chunk oh yeah and the mandalorian is all throughout there which are the jedis set there for a good chunk well let's go back a little bit uh we should talk some more about jar jar <laughs> So one thing I, you know, and this is definitely when I was sitting in the theater, I was like, okay, it opened pretty strong. You know, there's robots that are kind of cool. I, I really like the circular droids. The other ones, I, I'm not a big fan of. They never really were threatening or anything. It should have been more like the Terminator, Terminator or something. Um, but yeah, it's like good Jedi action, just like running around, slashing things up. And then as soon as they get to Naboo, they run into Jar Jar. And as soon as he starts speaking, <laughs> part of me just like sunk. And I was like, ugh. Um, and he makes a really weird reference i don't know if any of you caught this but like he just says the term louis louis oh yeah i don't know what he was saying (laughs) i mean it was it was two words yeah but yeah just the look of him is still pretty decent like i think the thing that's aged the worst is actually the textures 
but like you know getting that motion capture i think i'm on i'm at best with like wearing like a little uh jar jar head and like literally walking around like this costume and you can actually see in some of the shots when it's just like the bottom part of his torso it's still the costume like they didn't cgi over it yeah so the actual tech and mechanics are pretty good it's kind of making me think about like how nowadays uh you know robotics companies are having these different robots do all these things like ballet dance or whatever just to show off the fluidity of their movement so i'm kind of like that's why we're having constant cutaways to jar jar doing some other wacky shit uh is to show off you know cgi can do this we don't need human actors maybe we don't need them at all yeah i think you're absolutely right I, when i was watching this again because it'd been a while since i'd seen it it holds up and it is just the background yeah. textures just remind me of a video game like from mm-hmm. 2000 <laughs> you know right Oh, and we should mention that there were, I think we briefly touched on that, but there were so many, like, tie-in things to this. There was video games, action figures, uh, you know, new lightsaber toys. Uh, I seem to remember there was, like, this action figure you could, like, put in that little mount and it would, like, speak. Something like that. Uh, There was toothpaste, there was backpacks, you know, everything, everything. I think there was, like, at least two different games made, like the one you mentioned for PlayStation. And then I remember uh, people who made uh, Rogue Squadron made like a Battle for Naboo game. There's a pod racing game that was awesome. Oh, that one's awesome. I love that That one's a really good game. Legitimately great. Uh, The one, the figurine thing you're talking about, they're like these little microchips. And you put them, yeah, yeah, you put them on the little scanner looking thing and it was like a sound bite. I had those. Right, yeah. And there was even a Pepsi um tie-in where you would collect the <laughs> pepsi cans and can you guess who collected them <laughs> they're just like my parents no nah, man it's like each each can had a different character so okay. you would oh, yeah. collect it um and i had oh, like I... 20 yeah i definitely did that for some previous movies like for batman returns or something like that or one of the batman movies that had like the cups that could change color and aladdin and other things like that yeah Oh, so it is, it does kind of interest me. So, did you watch the uh, the special edition movies in theaters? Like, did those make a big impact on you? Oh, or like, huge! Was it just this one? It's exactly like what you were saying. That was the first okay. time I saw it the in theaters, and it was really cool seeing it. And I, I assume you had watched the VHS or whatever version, original versions. <laughs> like, what did you think of the like special features, the like special things? I was wowed. Like, I was like incredible. I can't believe they did that. Right, yeah, and I mean, that was the era when we basically had Jurassic Park and, like, yeah. the first Toy Story, and then this is the big, like, we're bringing CGI to the forefront. It's going to be a character throughout the movie. Uh, so many backgrounds and, like, uh... oh. And this is a part that always bothered me at the time, but now I'm like, actually, they keep bringing that sequence back, is when they're, like, first entering uh, the Gungan City and then when they're leaving, like, in that ship in the water, and there's, like, a bunch of CGI fish, like, trying to eat them or whatever. At the time, I was like, this is cheesy. Uh, and even on this rewatch, I was like, okay, they do a second time. And that's the thing that I find annoying. Like, if they just open one time, it's fine. Mm. But they have done that sequence so many times in, like, so many other movies uh, with mm. fish-like creatures. So I'm like, maybe Lucas was onto something and I was, and I was wrong. <laughs> Wait, okay, speaking of the Gungans, my mind was just blown. I did not realize... <laughs> That the Gungans are the indigenous inhabitants of Naboo, right. and the humanoid people like Amidala yep. are the like col- colonialists or whatever. Yeah. So it's even more offensive that they have senatorial representation. 
And then on top of it, there's something called junior representatives. So apparently when uh, Amidala becomes the senator, Jar Jar is the junior representative. So they they represent like different minority populations on the planet. Sort of. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, this is getting more complicated. <laughs> oh, wow. What if they're literally supposed to be the colony of Jamaica? Mm. Yeah. And then the other Nabooians are like the British monarchy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's no wonder they hate each other. But yeah, that's the big thing is that, you know, thanks to Jar Jar and Queen Amidala and their great friendship, they're able to bridge these two wonderful peoples together. Um, something about the look of when they get back to Naboo, like doing the overhead shot, and I, I don't know if it's a practical models or if it's like a mix of practical and CGI, but it looks exactly like if they made a civilization game in the Star Wars universe, which I would play the hell out of too, if mm. that was real. Uh, but yeah, that was Chef's Kiss. I liked that a lot. Mm. Um, that was Theed, or wait, no. I think so, I don't know. I I'm trying to learn the name. I think that's wow, the name, yeah. You're going deep into this. I really <laughs> yeah. was getting into it today. <laughs> I'm a fan of Fantastic <laughs> <laughs> uh, And the cinematography is also quite good. I think this is the last one they shot on film until maybe the Disney movies. Um, so it actually looks really good, and I think they have like the 4K edition on, on Disney+, Plus, which I assume how we all watched it. Uh, uh, which, which for a long time they had thought they couldn't scale up HD to 4K, and that was the big thing about shooting in HD. I guess they figured out a way. You know, what really bothered me in this movie was the transitions. It swiped yeah. like a PowerPoint. And I didn't, <laughs> right. I didn't remember that. Like, they really bothered me. Oh, no. They do, like, star wipes. They do, like, iris outs. They do, Is that like, from Flash like, Gordon, or...? No, I forget. It has to be. I don't know. But, I mean, I would give them a lot more respect back in the 70s when they did those effects, like, practically, or however they did that. And then now they're just, like, putting it into uh, Adobe or whatever. <laughs> I heard that apparently Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman hated each other on the set of this film. Uh, you know, they're playing Queen Amidala and then the royal attendant, and they keep, like, swapping places. But apparently Natalie Portman was maybe insecure about her or something, or, like, being like, oh, she's like me, but better. Uh, so she kept, like, trying to sabotage her in little ways. And that's why you can suddenly see, like, Natalie gets less and less to do as the films progress. It's like George Lucas maybe, like, being retributive or something. Mm. Like, how, how dare you be mean to Kira Knightley? And I don't think Kira Knightley comes back. Like, she's not in any of the other ones. I think she was literally probably supposed to be the one that died at the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Like, mm. uh, one of Queen Amidala's guards gets, gets blown up. That's weird. <laughs> Uh, oh, and another big failing of this movie and maybe these prequels in general is there is no like sarcastic, sardonic, like Han Solo type. Like they really need that roguish voice of being like, I don't really care about any of this. Just like going along for the ride. So yeah, this, these, all these three films really lacked something like that. It, it is interesting that it felt kind of like Qui-Gon was sort of that, but it there was like no well, possibility... <laughs> Yeah, he's not funny. No. Um, and to this day, like, that's my dad's favorite character is Qui-Gon. And he's in one movie out of nine. <laughs> you know? Oh, and he comes back for Kenobi. He's like, that's right. Lady. And uh, Yoda talks about him being there in Revenge of the Sith. He's like, and Qui-Gon's totally right there. You just can't see him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and Liam Neeson was a really big get for this time like he was kind of this was his hot streak like he had just done i think schindler's list and uh michael collins and like he was really on the rise of skywalker uh no but he he was like a really big and interesting actor like physically big like six mm. plus feet 
and they write this really sort of compelling character for him, but I don't know if they really uh, exploit it or, like, go as full into it as they should have. Like, he essentially is a gray Jedi, right? Like, he's constantly refusing the orders from the council. He's constantly being like, I'm going to train Anakin, I don't care. He's, like, literally trick tricking Watto into making a bed and, like, lying to him and Anakin. Like, he tells... His first line is Anakin is like, how do you know I didn't kill a Jedi or something like that? Mm-hmm. And then to Watto, he, like, lies and says, I won this pod race in a, in a game of chance or something like that. Uh, so he's constantly, like, playing this kind of scummy character, but you know, obviously, he has a heart of gold. Like, his intentions are good. But essentially, like, why does he want to steal the slave boy and then specifically not his mother? Yeah, he, he then uh, is, like, going against the queen's intention or will even though like uh padme is there and she's like the queen wouldn't approve of this and he's like the oh, queen no. trusts me <laughs> and, the queen's not here is she <laughs> and you should too yeah what the queen doesn't know is is, is why i don't know what the saying is but, but she's right yeah. there <laughs> it's compelling uh and i i think the gray jedi is a great concept that they almost explored but then didn't uh, you know ryan johnson set that up in the last jedi but i didn't really follow any of that um and you can also see in attack of the clones that this character that Christopher Lee plays, uh, Count Dooku, which is a dumb name, uh, he's supposed to be kind of a dark side reflection of Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, he's almost the exact same character, but, like, if he had descended into madness or whatever. Um, like, he's not a Sith. And, yeah, like, I didn't totally buy Qui-Gon being like, oh, we can't free your mom, I could only get the, like, your deed, or whatever that's, it's, like, a little bit fishy, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would take that quite a bit further and say, you know, Jedi can see the future. I'm pretty sure he knows exactly what's going to happen to Shmi uh, after they leave. Um, but we can also say, like, Shmi, how do we say this? You know, she she is doing, like, the virgin birth thing, right? Like, she's essentially mm-hmm. kind of like Mary. Uh, but it, there's also the sinister implication that somehow Palpatine is the thing that caused Anakin to come to being somehow, using the Force. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that actually what this was reminding me of, but just handled in a completely different tone, was that scene in Doubt with Viola Davis, where they're like, she's like, just, all my son has to do is get through till June, like, she wants a better life for Oh, her where son. she's like, I'm fine with whatever horrible thing's happening. Mm-hmm. Will you take my son into the Order and, like, train him and make him a better life, like. I don't know. I think she won Best Supporting Actress for that, like, brief scene. Like, she definitely got nominated. Shortest. Yeah. I think she won, I'm pretty sure. It's just, like, one scene, and, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's a really good performance. There's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, more Davis in these films. Anyways, that was the feeling of the Jedi I was getting, like, we're taking your young child away from you. And generally, is there maybe a race problem? I don't know. Like, none of the main characters, most of the main characters are white. Like, Jar Jar is obviously played by a person of color, and then we have that one guard, the stupid, uh, stupid hat thing. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or I guess you have a uh, uh, Django, Django Fett as well. Mm. Mace Windu. I can see Lucas trying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they do come back to Tatooine, and that's actually really cool. And I'm pretty sure they're probably recycling the sets and stuff from when they made the special editions. Like I think they literally built the set again in, in Tunisia uh, and went back there. And I also have to give them props, like, whenever there's a big cutaway of, like, a crowd of people, like, it's literally real people wearing real costumes, like, burning to death in that horrible heat. Uh, and they are doing, like, the, the uh, Moss Eisley Cantina thing, right? But, like, on a much bigger scale. Like, look at all this crazy crap that's going on. One that really stood out to me is when they're walking through the marketplace, 
and uh, Jar Jar steals a frog or something that he has to eat right then. And the uh, person <laughs> selling that happens to be this like real costume, like this guy in this like kind of a ghoulish looking mm-hmm. setup. And I'm just like, okay, I appreciate that effort, even if maybe it doesn't entirely pay off. Oh yeah, the Gungan tongues, the, the tongues just made it even more kind of gross of a character. Right. Oh yeah, he has a long tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like grabbing the food with it. He's like uh, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and yeah, and he's kind of an asshole. He's like, okay. oh, I just stole your food. What did I do? Why are you mad at me? Whoopsie. He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> Right. And oh, and that's the other weird thing, is the other Gungans don't really seem to respect him either. Like like uh, you said, Joe, he is an outcast from the Gungans, and they all kind of think he's foolish, or whatever, I think they say. It, it's He's not a good representation of his race, it seems. And No, yeah, I think, he's not a yeah. representative. Yeah, like all these other guys. <laughs> yeah, That's part of the, the arc, man. Darth... Darth Jar Jar. No, I think it's canon, uh, almost. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like some of the designs of all these other uh, pod racers. You know, his, this is how we get into the lead up to the pod race. Uh, essentially, Qui Gon fixes a bet, which is like if if Anakin's able to win this race, then he wins his freedom. And and Watto specifically says, uh, no race is worth two slaves, mm-hmm. you know, saying that we're not going to include the mother in that bet. There's no side action here. Um, yeah, I really like Sebulba, who's like the villainous uh, pod race alien. It's kind of like Anakin's rival. Um, but here's where we kind of get the start of what I was saying about Anakin playing people. It's like he literally told Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, whoever else was around, I'm a great pilot, uh, I have a ton of experience and all this. And then we cut to the pod race itself, and he's like, uh, I've never actually done this before. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly lying. <laughs> like, he's a little boy and whatever. Uh, and just talking about the Jake Lloyd of it all, uh, and then let's just say, like, right off the bat, like, uh, I don't think it's right that Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best got, like, bullied so mercilessly after this point. Mm. Like, uh, you know, it's not their fault that they were just doing the performance given to them. Mm. Uh, but Jake Lloyd, like, literally is acting like he's in a different thing. Like, he's acting like he's in a 90s sitcom, not like he's in a, a Star Wars epic mm. you know, sci-fi fantasy. So, so there's that real big clash. And I had heard that apparently there was another boy actor picked out apparently like was super experienced super professional all this but then they just looked at jake lloyd and was like he was in one thing like one sitcom or something so he gets the part uh over this other like probably much better choice uh so that's kind of unfortunate uh oh ooh, i, I really wanted to highlight this it's so one of the first things we see when we meet anakin is that he's building c-3po uh, and there's also the implication that he, like Ray, later on, is a scavenger that like finds his parts and is able to like I guess use the Force to build them. Um, mm. To the point where I was like, did the Force suggest that he build C-3PO in some way? Mm. Like, and then is C-3PO really the chosen one? <laughs> that he like uh, it's almost like his Frankenstein's monster that he like builds and then it's, like throughout the rest of the films, like kind of playing pretty important roles throughout. Like it's interesting. Mm. Like he didn't. Like, somehow he just thought, I'm going to build this protocol droid. <laughs> Why? Could have built a much simpler robot for your mother. And not just that. Like, he's supposed to be a protocol droid, but, like, C-3PO is kind of rude. Like, he's not yeah. <laughs> a great He's not a great protocol droid. I thought that was the best part, that, like, this kid imbued his droid with, like, this sassy, kind of funny character. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did he create yeah, uh... the personality? 
Yes, actually. So originally he was supposed to talk like uh, in the original films. The exception for C-3PO was to be like a used car salesman. Like that's how he's supposed to talk, like a New Jersey guy. Like, I'm going to sell you a car. Whatever. Oh, then they got this Anthony Daniels actor, and he basically just threw that out and was like, I'm going to do this. And they were like, oh, mm. perfect. Prissy, British, whatever. Super gay. No, sorry. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of the casting of the kid, I'm pretty sure I've read that they auditioned 3,000 children for this part. So how oh, did wow. they really had every option and they picked this one child. It's kind of it's funny. Excessive. That reminds me of a, in a Revenge of the, uh, sorry, I was going to say Revenge of the Jedi. In Revenge of the Sith, like they had also auditioned a billion people for the voice of General Grievous. And I think they literally gave it to one of the animators who I guess was just doing like the temp track. And they're like, you're perfect. Do this weird wheezing voice that doesn't make sense unless you saw the cartoon. Oh, but listen to this story too. That speaking, okay, just the casting thing. I, I did not realize this, but this is a story from the rap or whatever. It says, Ralph Fiennes almost played Obi-Wan Kenobi, except he met George Lucas's one of his daughters on the set, and the daughter turned around and said, I don't like this guy, he's weird, I don't like him, and then that's when his that's when he got uncast is because George Lucas' wow. daughter didn't like him. Well, I don't think I'd really like to see that, to be honest. Mm. He does kind of have like a villainous or like maybe too intelligent aura to him. Like he's Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, it's not Fiennes' daughter, it's somebody else's daughter. Or, I mean, it's not yeah, Lucas's, Lucas's daughter. daughter, and he's like, yeah. oh, my daughter. I don't know, yeah, I guess he was creepy on set, though. He's too creepy mm. to play him. And Ian McGregor is great in all these films. Uh, you know, I think people often highlight his performance as being, like, one of the best things about these movies. Um, and, again, he was, like, coming off a hot streak of, like, train spotting and a bunch of Danny Boyle mm. movies, uh, and was, like, this rising young star. Um, one trivia that I think is kind of creepy is apparently he would often, like, and maybe it was, like, really hot, but apparently he'd like to strip down and, like, walk around nude, like, in front of the child actors and everyone, just being like, I'm, this is my thing, I'm Irish, I don't know, deal with it. So, I remember reading that he was only, like, 27 when this was yeah. happening, but how the, how old is Obi-Wan supposed to be? Like, is he still a freaking Padawan? At right. In his late 20s? Probably in his 20s. Dang. I didn't know that it took that long. <laughs> oh, and apparently Ian McGregor is the cousin or something of the guy who plays uh, Wedge Antilles in the original movies. So mm. there's also that sort of patronage system going on, apparently. <laughs> Did we mention that Anakin is like, I'm going to come back to free the slaves? Which is like mm. a Moses thing, right? Oh, yeah, he says that, but he, but he never does. doesn't do it. <laughs> He comes back to try to save his mother, but it's too late. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, so now we, we're at pod racing. Uh, what do we want to say about pod racing? This is, again, like one of the legitimate like high points of this movie, where Jar Jar is mostly in the background like after like a bunch of hijinks. But then, yeah, uh, I don't know how they film this exactly. It seems to me like they probably had like some heavy-duty trucks or motorcycles or what have you out in the desert. They found these canyons, like real plates of real places. Um, I imagine they shot it kind of in slow motion and then sped it up. Like, that's a, you do slow for fast or something like that. Um, but yeah, it looks great. Like, even now, even then, like, this is the highlight of the movie. Like, okay, maybe, if you, even if you don't like the rest of it, like, this is going to get your heart racing. The music's really good. Um, there is a little bit of that Mary Sue aspect where the council may have, you know, something goes wrong with Anakin's uh, pod and he's, like, using the force or whatever to, like, fix his little issues that he has. 
So there's that element of being like the most special boy. <laughs> um, I liked the. Let's see, we read that um, for the like home release or something. They added extra scenes of like alien introductions, so you get to see every racer or something like that. For right, uh, Joe. I don't know if you're aware of this, but technically, the version that we have now we have now is the special edition. Like they mm. added some more sequences. They touched up Jabba the Hutt. Uh, they replaced the horrible Yoda puppet with like a mm. CGI version. There's various things that they fixed and changed over time. Uh, one thing I find really creepy is that one of uh, Anakin's friends is literally supposed to be uh, Greedo. Like mm. a little baby Greedo. Mm -hmm. Like, couldn't it have just been one of those aliens, but not specifically <laughs> Greedo? Mm -hmm. Like, why do we... In what way does it enrich us to know that Anakin's friend is later going to be shot to death by Han Solo? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm like, come on. You're just making shit up. Or you're just making stuff up, and it's not actually, it's not baked in. It's like, see how rich this this uh, world is. They're all yeah. connected. <laughs> well, actually, let's do a quick little tangent. Okay, so comparing the prequel trilogy to you know everything Disney Plus uh, has done, you know I think the real strengths of these movies is you essentially had the original trilogy, and then that was it for like 20 years, and. They don't explain everything to you. They don't do a bunch of prequels, you know, explaining every single character, like a solo spinoff or whatnot. You know, they really just leave it up to your imagination. And then we have these expanded novels and comics and whatever that, like, you know, people could really dig into it. Uh, we have people making up, like, what if Boba Fett got out and, like, did all these other things. Or um, they have uh, The Heir to the Empire, which it seems like they're about to do a series of that on Disney mm. Plus with, with Ahsoka. So, yeah, I think the real strength of this was not explaining every little thing away and like trying to be like uh what was the flight attendant of this thing doing on the last february <laughs> mm -hmm. i don't know you know what i mean like like at some point obviously it became corporate and you know i'm not really super fan of corporate stuff uh so just this need to like constantly making be making more movies and new tv shows and some are good some are bad you know you go back and forth i don't know it's exhausting yeah i mean i, I you're right that there was that break of essentially 20 years or whatever. Um, and or even like they made the prequels and then nothing else. Like yeah, Not that's good. right. What I found really strange was once they leave and R2-D2, you know, saves them and all that. A very strange have... introduction to R2-D2, by the way. So it's like very yeah. Like, oh, here he is. Great character. They, they have the queen clean up the droid? Isn't that a job for an actual, like, handmaiden? Like, why would they have the actual queen do it? Is it when she's in disguise? She because is in disguise. Because they don't know who she is. Like, they think she's the handmaiden. <sighs> That's weird, um, too. I've definitely... Yeah. It's, no, it's uh, like, it's unnecessary twist. <laughs> it's cause, yeah, it's because they're, like, yeah, highlighting, oh, R2-D2, you're the hero droid, the one that randomly survived, or somehow all your skills made you better than the other droids. Or, like, every time. Because it happens in, uh, in Revenge of the Sith, too. Like, there's another, uh, you know, in the big opening sequence, there's, like, one R4 or something that gets blown up. It's, like, Obi-Wan's personal droid. And then R2 is smart enough to hit the <laughs> droid in the center. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, I, I but I've definitely seen like some YouTube video essay about like essentially the Star Wars universe. They they want droids the both ways. They're both like sentient and have personalities and they're like yes. conscious, whatever. And they're and just pain, droids, possibly. right? But they're also just <laughs> droids. They feel nothing. You can just get them killed. It means nothing. So she's kind of like 
doting over this or 2d2 but that doesn't always happen with droids i guess mm. They're often seen as disposable, and it's yeah. to a point where, like, the Trade Federation has this giant army of droids that, like, are featureless and all the same. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a part of the CGI intruding too much, of, like, all the droids being CGI and the tanks at the end, I think, should have definitely been practical. Mm. Like, now. So going back to what you originally saying, though, I think the, the pod racing I thought was super cool. But watching it now, I'm like, what, there are no rules? Like, damn, they're just sabotaging <laughs> each other. Like, people are just dying right, left and like right. You know, literally, Anakin won because nobody else was left alive. Or, like, <laughs> just racing. Oh, it's endurance, yeah. It's like twisted metal or something. And, and then on top of that, you had Tusken Raiders just shooting people? Like, what? <laughs> right. Or there were there were like some other people. Uh, Eric and I noticed this is like super hot girl, like kind of yeah. There's some hot ladies around, sitting around watching. <laughs> also, I was... by the way, uh, when they showed Jabba the Hut for a minute, if you look behind him, there's like this clown lady, and I was like, what the hell? Yeah, there like, was some weird costumes back there in his entourage. <laughs> Uh, but they also bring back his like tentacle friend, which is a nice touch. Mm. They should have gone um, like full Fast and Furious or like racer, speed racer movie with this or something. Right. I don't know. <laughs> oh, could have been a spinoff. That would have been a cool spinoff, like pod racing the movie. But yeah, we obviously know that Lucas had a big interest in like street racing in general. Mm-hmm. Like he made American Graffiti. He's obviously big into like car culture. Uh, I think in Attack of the Clones, Jimmy Smith's character drives around in a red Corvette like flying car thing uh so clearly lucas is into that like illegal street racing scene uh, of the 60s and 50s or whatever uh not current uh so yeah i think that's what he's like trying to allude to and like ben hur i know has a big racing thing mm-hmm. so he's trying to like he's picking his like uh, influences from all over kind of like mixing them together uh but yeah yeah um it's almost like it's probably just under like quidditch from like uh the first harry potter movie of being like, how is everybody not just dead? But like, keep showing like the pod completely destroys, and then the alien like spins out and he's fine. It's like mm-hmm. okay, I don't think so. But yeah, everything looks great in these scenes. Oh, and I think Erica, you said that they maybe extended the pod race itself as well. Like they added an extra lap. A second like lap. Yeah, mm. exactly. It actually reminded me of um, I don't know why this was my experience of Temple of Doom, but for some reason I always remember like watching the like first two-thirds of the movie and then i don't think maybe my parents didn't let me watch the rest of the movie it's mm. like i had no idea in temple of doom there was like a big minecart sequence <laughs> and that's what i really think of like i think that's probably the best part of temple of doom is like them going through the minecarts and that's the exact same thing here just like some spectacle that can really grab you and that actually works really well mm. Mm. at some point i wrote down that this is oceans 11 and that it's all a big heist uh, to get anakin to be a jedi mm. but i don't have very good proof of that so yeah, they just randomly settle on Tatooine. Oh, oh yeah, that was the other weird thing. Like, why did they choose Tatooine? It makes no sense. Uh, Warwick Davis is also in the crowd, which is a nice cameo. Mm. He played uh, Litwick, the Ewok, mm. and is uh, Willow. I've never seen Willow, by the way. I wonder if it's good. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, the repair droids are cute. And they are <laughs> popping up all over the Mandalorian, but they're extremely dumb as well. Mm. That's where they have some of the worst Jar Jars, uh, camel farts in his face. Mm-hmm. I think, basically, a, a space camel. And he's like, how rude. Like, Jar Jar's saying that. And I'm like, dude, you, you're super rude. Yeah. <laughs> he is, yeah. 
Yeah, there's so much specific uh, slang in this movie. Poodoo, which apparently is a universal slang because one of the pod racers says it. Mm. Uh, I, so I, I did mostly like the pod race. There is one part which I found insufferable, which is where Anakin gets launched into the air mm. really cartoonishly and then just lands back down and it's fine again. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wrote down at some point that uh, Spielberg should have been brought in to ghost direct Jake Lloyd since he has so much experience like directing kid mm. actors. So why not just have his friend direct those scenes and maybe they turn out good. Um, so right when they're leaving, there's a very brief, like way too brief action sequence that's kind of a tease for the end. Uh, where we have Darth Maul like swoop down on his cool bike and he literally tries to run Anakin down and I don't think he knows who Anakin is at that point he's just some boy who is apparently traveling with the Jedi he's like this boy needs to die mm-hmm. uh, and then they have like a you know it's a very quick battle in the sand and you can barely see anything because the camera's like right there uh, and I'm not really sure what the point of that all was mm. it kind of makes me wonder maybe there's a longer cut uh, and, oh by the way we should mention this Extremely recently, the editor of this movie revealed that apparently there was a three-hour cut of this movie that oh exists somewhere in the vaults that, uh, who knows what's in that material. Mm. Kind of shudders to think, but maybe it's good stuff. At least five <laughs> laps of pod racing. Yeah, but... <laughs> 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 Big pod race. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I think more with Darth Maul and Darth Sidious, because there's like two scenes of them together mm. saying some sinister things, and those things are actually quite dark and like nicely toned. Um, but then they, they don't really elaborate very much until the sequels. I do really like uh, Queen Amidala's silver ship. looks very fancy and sweet. That scene you're talking about of him ru- trying to run over Anakin <laughs> felt rushed and, and yeah. inappropriately placed, because basically it like shifts, yeah, it shifts over, they're just walking to the ship, and then all of a sudden they're running. Anakin doesn't okay, know why Anakin. they're running yet. He's like, drop, Anakin. And Anakin does something I've never seen a kid do, just exactly what he's told to do. You know, like he drops just in time. Yeah, I know. Anybody. When it was like, why? Why would he want me to drop? And, and it was so brief, and you could see in that fight that Qui-Gon, it'd been a while since he had a fight like that because he was so tired when he got on the ship. And I don't know, I mean, obviously Liam was quite a bit older than Ewan at the time the movies were made, but, like, even looking at, like, how Taken was filmed, like, I know there's, there's this, like, famous sequence people talk about where there's, like, 50 different cuts of Liam Neeson just, like, hopping over a fence, like, some, <laughs> something that would be a very simple shot, presumably, but it's, like, 50 different takes of him, like, climbing up and his feet going over and all this other mm. crap. It's like, maybe he just doesn't have that physical angle exactly. Mm. Um, so actually, I was mostly fine with this film, you know, at the time and now. Basically, up until the point where they return the Coruscant. And for whatever reason, that's when Lucas, like, really hits the brakes and we start watching C-SPAN for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, people talking about trade negotiations and going to Comites. Mm-hmm. this and that and the other thing and then um you know all that stuff and then eventually you know uh the jedi council more deadly dreadfully paced scenes of people talking in like very boring settings mm-hmm. but then i think one of the biggest sins this movie commits cinema sins or whatever is uh wasting samuel l motherfucking jackson mm-hmm. you know, and I think basically cast him off the strength of like his quentin tarantino roles and like mm-hmm. uh you know, he's a bunch of Spike Lee films as well. So if you're going to make a new trilogy, you don't make Samuel L. Jackson some, like, tertiary, ancillary character. You make him the star. Yeah, so if you want to bring Samuel L. Jackson now and do a 
full-on uh, Mace Windu series or whatever, I'd be down. I would be so down. Like, he has, like, a robot arm or something, and he's just this badass. We saw in the Clone Wars, he's a badass. <laughs> he can survive anything. I don't know. Right fine. Yeah. Coruscant itself looks great. Like, it looks, like, very Blade Runner-inspired. Like, it's that city in Blade Runner was a whole planet. Um, we meet Chancellor Valorum. Uh, that's a great actor. Uh, I forget his name, but he played uh, General Zod in the original Superman movies. Mm. We meet Palpatine for the first time. Uh, and we have, like, I think Padme goes to, like, three or four different outfit changes in this sequence. <laughs> um, and part of me was like, they're definitely just trying to sell the Barbie inspired by Queen Amidala. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, uh, I think Janet was saying she had that Barbie. Mm -hmm. uh, so, because they're just trying to push the merchandise. <laughs> One of the weird grace notes of this series is that the actor who plays Palpatine, uh, Ian McDermott, he was actually a young man when they shot Return of the Jedi in a scenes in Empire or whatever, and then he actually aged up into the role, which I always thought <laughs> is like one of the great trivia facts of cinema. Oh yeah, I had never thought about that before, and the, also that um, the movie he was in in 83, that's only 16 years before 1999, but yeah, he aged 16 years and then wrote reprise the role. I never thought about that before. He's <laughs> mm. a reprise. Uh, yeah, and I love, you know, we eventually get to Revenge of the Sith when he's having so much fun, you know, digging into being evil. Unlimited power. No, <laughs> <laughs> and also, when we see the Space Senate, at some point you can see there are ETs uh, in the crowd. Oh, yeah. One of the pods is ET the Extraterrestrials, mm -hmm. um, which implies that this does take place in our world. Because E.T., of course, takes place in our world in the 80s. You know, some, bo some boy finds an alien. Uh, and this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So mm. who knows? Maybe it's the Battlestar Galactica ending. Well, I, I also <laughs> wanted to say that this, this line says, In November 2015, Ron Howard confirmed that he, Robert Zemeckis, and Steven Spielberg were approached by Lucas to direct The Phantom Menace. All three approached oh. directors told Lucas that he should direct the film as they each found the project too daunting. But I feel like that was their nice way of being like, no, no, you just do your little movie. Yeah, but I guess he threw in the Spielberg E.T. aliens or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think any of those choices would have been better, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or maybe just to do another script pass. I don't know why, like, so basically Empire was directed by someone who wasn't George Lucas. Return of the Jedi was directed by somebody who wasn't George Lucas. Both scripts, I think, were co-written by Lucas and uh, mostly Irvin Kushner, uh, who also did a great job. And then these Disney films, like, they brought him back. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know what happened in between those years. That Lucas was like, I must be the one that writes these. And, like, I must be the dialogue uh, coach or whatever. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. I guess he got high on his own supply or whatever. <laughs> I think it was one of those things that he said that the only way he would make Star Wars again is if he had complete control. Total control. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe we're like thinking we're we're going too deep into it and it really is like the more credits I have, the more residual <laughs> I get. Ergo, the more money. No, I think it was that directors from from what I remember reading, it was that he insisted on having creative control, even if there was right. another person directing, and a lot of directors don't like that. Which, I mean, I, do. I can definitely respect that, because it is his baby, like, it's his idea. Like, I'm yeah. going to take samurai films and put them in space. That's right. No one else did that. 
Um, I do like Yoda in these films. Like all, basically all, everything he says is like quotable. Uh, this is the movie that gives you, uh, you know, fear is the pathway to the dark side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Fear leads anger, anger leads to hate. That whole thing comes from this movie, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Just there's a lot of uh, Jedi stuff I don't totally get. But yeah, the fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. They're they're talking in the beginning about Qui Gon's like. No, live in the moment, and then Ewan McGregor's like, "Well, Yoda says to also think of the future," and he's like, "No, no, he's like living in the moment <laughs> or something." Said. Yeah, and I'm like, "Well, okay, what does any of this mean?" <laughs> and there's a lot of convolution in the sequels to this of like Yoda being like, "I can't see into the future anymore," or like everything's clouded, mm. and like somehow everything's going bad, and we don't know why, <laughs> and we don't know why. Yeah, there was a there was an interesting thing of that I noticed at least. Where they're talk constantly talking about following your feelings instead of like your your actual <laughs> thoughts about things, and huh. I don't know that's so contrary to what I normally hear, uh, you know, like to separate your feelings from decisions. Thought that was interesting. Right. Or, or what was it in a uh, Top Gun Maverick when he's like, you just had to fly or something like. <laughs> Should get that Top Gun Maverick guy to do a Rogue Squadron movie. Uh, mm. But anyway. Yeah, no, it's weird because the Jedi essentially don't really make that much sense because they're part Zen Buddhist, right? Like, their whole life philosophy about, like, life and everything goes back to this thing. And then they're part, like, samurai warriors. And the samurai, were, as I understood it, essentially were the emperor's, like, personal guards. Like, almost like those red guys you see in uh, Palpatine's chambers. So, yeah, you can't really square those two things away. Either they're samurai or they're monks. Like, they can't be both things. It doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're all about life and preserving life, then you wouldn't be a fighter. You would just go and meditate somewhere. Kind of reminds me of, uh, I mean, I think Tron Legacy was kind of ripping off these movies a little bit. But, uh, you know, um, Jeff Bridges' character in that movie was definitely like, I'm not going to engage. I'm going to be the, like, uh, outside force. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, another quote. Somebody says, focus determines your reality. I'm like, really? <laughs> just looking through my notes some more uh, Jar Jar is the poochie of the Star Wars universe I wrote down <laughs> of, uh, oh this is a really weird thing so they're meeting with the not, with the Gungans uh, to convince them to like fight or whatever and for some reason they're in the middle of this ancient Gungan temple which mm-hmm. I don't think they ever explain or like allude to again it's like a really elaborate set. There's a bunch of cool, like, half-sunken head statues, which I think might be, like, wherever they filmed it. Like, that, those heads are literally there, and they just picked a cool location. Hmm. Well, I remember in this movie, I caught that the Trade Federation people and the ships had said that they found these underwater cities, and so hmm. the Gungans had to escape from them. Oh, okay. Oh, so this is a situation that was just developing. Because they started attacking them. I thought it was just like the established, you know, status quo. That's interesting. Yeah, so like they, I think they may have started attacking the Gungans as well. That may have been it. So again, if that's your big theme, then really highlight that, really hit that hard, George, and say, mm-hmm. uh, oh, we just discovered, it, it's kind of like uh, the new Black Panther movie where they discover the like underwater people. Like it's the exact mm-hmm. same thing to make that what your film is about. We discover mm-hmm. this underwater city. I did also write down that the Gungan King is just Shrek, which I think is <laughs> pretty apt. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, and I also wrote down. So, Joe, you had mentioned they make Jar Jar a general here. Mm. I'm kind of like maybe the Gungan King just wants him to be dead. Mm. <laughs> Send him to the front lines. Yeah. I could see that. That is a good point. A general at the front lines is weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a general right? air force, right? <laughs> there was something like that in the White Lotus season two. Uh, this isn't a spoiler or anything, but it's basically like they're talking about how there's this uh, this old story about like this king was lusting after this guy's wife, so he basically sent the guy to the front lines so that he would die, and then he could like mm. move in with the wife. Uh, and then when the wife discovered what had happened, he like she like cut off his head. Mm. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, th- I remember that. Oh, there's this really cool shot at the beginning of the Gungan fight that's literally ripping off Akira Kurosawa, and they never reference it again, and it's the best part of the scene, and they should have continued on this line. But it's basically they show the Gungan army coming out of the mist, and it's literally like, I think, from Throne of Blood or one of these Kurosawa movies, which is the same thing. It's like the samurai with all their armor and their helmets and stuff, and the spears and whatever they have mm. like coming out of the mist and i think back then it's probably like a technical like they had to do it that way because mm. it, it was just like a set or whatever but I, I it just annoys me that you start the scene so promisingly like that and then don't have the entire thing be in a cool mist shroud mm-hmm. i don't know uh they intercut this you know they always do that star wars thing of intercutting you know key scenes so we see kind of a battle of algiers-esque fight in the streets mm-hmm. of naboo um, it's extremely like flat and boring in my opinion. Uh, and in the meantime, we're following the heroes trying to get like a, a starship or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's also another thing like so I was so critical of this Gungan fight, and yet if we look at Black Panther, if we look at Infinity War, uh-huh. uh, if we look at Endgame, even like it's essentially the same setup, like a big CGI army against our hero characters. So maybe again, maybe I'm like too harsh on this movie. Uh, if all these other movies are clearly you know ripping it off in a lot of ways. I mean, I think that being critical is appropriate. Like, why the hell do you need an army? You could just use missiles, you know? <laughs> right. Or artillery. We don't really need armies now because we have drones. Yeah. It's it's so weird to see it. And then the Gungans are, like, at the same time, really technologically advanced, but then oh, yeah. really basic, like, with their shields. Because you didn't see the droids with the big shields. Right. Yeah, no, it's literally a setup from Infinity War. They start off with this big bios spear. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, the basically, like, the um, uh, Wakandans, kind of like that. Yeah, no, they are, like, the Nemorians or the Wakandans or whatever. They're, like, mm-hmm. the secret, technologically advanced civilization. Mm-hmm. So then we have this really terrible intercut with Anakin accidentally he locks himself into a ship. And just presses the button that sends him to the big battle or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. And I like to believe, like, my head cannons that Archie's like cursing him out throughout this thing. <laughs> Archie's mm-hmm. like, he's gonna get me killed or whatever. Yeah. Um, he, he does do a barrel roll. So that's a nice start. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he did a barrel yeah. roll. Yeah. Uh, some of the annoying things that Anakin says I wrote down I'll try spinning. He just goes wahoo for some reason. Uh-huh. Uh, he says it's yeah. working. It's working. He's like, whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Or something like that. This had to be, like, the Home Alone influence, maybe. Like, Lucas was like, what works with kid actors? It's like, all these annoying, like, catchphrases and mugging to the camera. Mm. I don't know. It's terrible. Well, it, it is interesting if he wanted to do something different, he did, because the, the child is literally like, whoops, I didn't mean to turn on the <laughs> autopilot. Like, <laughs> It's true, nothing like that had been attempted in Star Wars before, up to this point. Mm. Right. But yeah, I think it's essentially Lucas was like, oh crap, I wrote in A New Hope that when Obi-Wan met Anakin that he was already a great pilot. Mm-hmm. I haven't really paid that off at all. I'm clearly just going to have to make some crap up. 
So yeah, he locks himself in a ship and like uh, is in this brief battle and that essentially ends up blowing up the entire space station by accident. Another thing that bothered me from that sequence was when he does the barrel roll, the camera doesn't stay with him. Like it shows oh, yeah. the frame actually rotating, which is completely <laughs> counter to the Good rest to of the <laughs> thing. And I was like, Ugh, I don't know. I didn't <laughs> like that. It's another weird thing where like, so in the original movies, Lucas was taking influence from like news reels of like actual dog fighting mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But he kind of flipped it in this one where it was like, I'm literally going to try to recreate those news reels now instead of just taking the influence, you know? Mm. And I think this is something they did in the Clone Wars cartoon as well, where, like, each one begins with, like, this, like, news on the march type mm. thing. Um, which I think it worked in there, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, my question is, does Amidala in this movie or ever realize that she was tricked by the other senator guy to vote, get the do the vote of no confidence for the chancellor? Well, I don't think she realizes it here, but like by the time they're in Revenge of the Sith, and she's like, "This is how democracy dies." Under mm-hmm. applause, <laughs> grant, uh, Bush emergency war powers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think by that time she's like, "Oh crap!" I uh, yeah, I incidentally helped this along. Mm. But uh, like I said, like Padme doesn't really have much of a character, and I, well. I think, Erica, you said this, like, we're, like, so critical of the acting in these movies, but if you have to imagine back then, we're essentially talking about a lot of scenes where people are just, like, lost in blue screens and green screens, talking to, like, tennis balls on on, on wires or whatever. So you can kind of see, like, especially if you're, like, a 17-year-old, or however old she was at the time, like, maybe you would be a little confused, maybe you wouldn't be quite sure how to act or, like, bring your A-game. One thing I heard... Um, from the biography was that this was the movie where George Lucas was really excited about digital and doing a lot of the digital editing because he could see it himself and so he uh, a lot of the things he said was we'll fix it in post and so a lot yeah a lot of the actors just it was exactly like you're saying the first time they're really acting in front of a tennis ball and having to imagine things how many careers have died to that same yeah. price? <laughs> yeah. I did give this film an entire point back for when they are standing on the ledge, uh, Amidala and her whole retinue, and they like bring out their grappling hooks, like a uh, mm. first movie, and they shoot mm. it up and like go up the, the wire. Like you get an entire point for that. Oh yeah, and we already alluded to it, but uh, of course during this, uh, we're also seeing this amazing fight between uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul, who, if he doesn't have much of a, like, voice presence, he does have an incredible physical presence. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of compared it, and I think he had, I even said this maybe in interviews, but he was kind of modeling his acting after, like, a caged tiger. You can definitely see that, uh, you know, at some point they're stuck between force fields or whatever, and he's kind of glaring at Qui-Gon, and I think he's really trying to embody, like, a, a caged tiger. Mm. Yeah, choreography is incredible. Uh, I think they, uh, you can look up behind the scenes footage of them practicing and it's like i think they practiced that 200 percent and then slowed it down for the actual film so it actually like show up that's pretty awesome yeah those uh i the reveal of the two-bladed lightsaber was so <laughs> oh, cool because yeah. that's the first time we see it ever in the star wars yeah, universe we've never seen we'd only seen standard lightsabers up to that point yeah i i actually got chills watching it this time that was awesome 
Yeah, yeah and it was the the music thing that we're talking about, like dun dun, ba da da. Yeah. The reveal. <laughs> they kind of did a similar thing in Attack of the Clones, but not to as good effect. It's the bit where uh, Anakin somehow ends up with two lightsabers. We've seen that in video games a lot. Like, uh, there's the Jedi Forces series, which lets you play with all sorts of different types. But yeah, we've never seen it dual-wielding two lightsabers. Um, again, I don't think that fight entirely works, mostly because Christopher Lee was, like, 90-something when they are shooting these films. Uh, so they had to have, like, stunt doubles or, like, compromises that way. But there is one really cool scene where they're, like, kind of in the dark, and there's, like, uh, you know, like a glow stick effect uh, across their faces. Um, so much like the Borg and a lot of these other movies, uh, after Anakin blows up the ship, the robots just stop working. Uh, or even in the first Avengers movie, the, the exact same thing happens. Like, you wouldn't have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Or even, like, maybe they break the programming. Uh, what was it, like, uh, that Netflix movie about the robots that's animated, uh, where it'd be like, maybe they get independent or something like that. Mm. The cartoon one, the family yeah. one. Yeah, that was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. The Mitchells versus the, the Mitchells versus the machines. Thank you. Machines, yeah, yeah. It, it really it bothered me watching it this time too. When they destroy the command ship, and it's like that was your plan, like you. That was how you ran an army was like a server, controlling it all. I mean, actually, that's a good point. Like it's literally like a Deus Ex Machina. Like if Anakin hadn't been there, they would have all just died, right? Because mm -hmm. the robots would have just endlessly kept coming like the Terminator. Wait a second, but this, but the. War was never meant to be a good war, so probably Darth Sidious somehow misled the Trade Federation into having a crappy war plan because all he needed <laughs> was them to do something to get the power, just do an mm. attack. It didn't have to be a successful attack. And maybe even Jar Jar had something to do with the whoopsie, the autopilot just mm. happened. I don't know, because he suddenly got saved down on the ground. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of duplicitousness behind the scenes. <laughs> well, that goes into my Ocean's Eleven theory, which is that Anakin is, like, really playing Qui-Gon, and he has his annoying friend there on Tatooine to, like, play up, oh, yeah, Anakin's great, and he'll just, like, <laughs> take him along. Um, I also wrote down Anakin's a natural-born killer, because he, like, kills a <laughs> of droids, which we've established our sentient life. Um, that's messed up. You know, oh, it, yeah. it did bother me that he lands in the hangar, and what do the droids do? They stare Nothing. at him. Yeah, they just, and I'm like, I thought that there Protocol would be ninja. like some, yeah, there'd be some automatic thing where they just shoot at the enemy's ship that lands in there with no shields. <laughs> like, I don't know. By the way, we've seen a lot of the other, like, adult trained pilots just, like, get killed immediately. So it would be mm. a the force is guiding uh, Anakin to success. Mm -hmm. Um I will also say, I mean, like, that was one of my favorite parts of the original movies, and they don't even bring it back into, like, Revenge of the Sith. It's, like, all this, like, dogfighting stuff. Uh, you know, it's very flat here. Like, you barely see anything interesting. The droid ships aren't very good looking. Um, I do see a lot of practical uh, models. Like, I'm pretty sure the big space station, which is an actual model, they blow up. Um, so that's excellent compared to what we get later. Yeah, everything's way too easy, and then Qui-Gon's just dead, and, and uh, you know, Obi-Wan gets that great little flip cutting uh dark they they're just watching him burn and i'm thinking like at, at the end when he's dead and stuff they're all there he's not already cremated like qui-gon's body is there and they're burning it like they're all smelling right. like 
flesh being burned and Yo, just staring solemnly. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. It's the same thing that happened in Return of the Jedi uh, when they're burning Anakin's body. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they, why they do it that way. It's also kind of funny, uh, I don't know if any of you watched Supernatural, the TV series, mm. but for some reason whenever uh, like a main character dies on that series, they also do the same thing. Uh, <laughs> the creators are a fan of Star Wars. But yeah, you wouldn't like cremate a body like that, presumably. Uh, and doesn't, does Padme go the same way, or do they just have her like in an ice, uh, or like a glass casket? I don't remember. I just remember that she died of grief. Right. <laughs> it's like her body stopped fighting. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's totally a thing. So at the end, there's a strange thing where uh, Yoda is talking with Obi Wan, and they actually agree that Anakin is the chosen one. Which mm. I always thought was very strange. But then he says, "But we shouldn't train him." So then, mm. what's the plan? Anakin's just gonna go off and become like a scum lord somewhere, like a like a Jabba the Hutt type. Mm. Like what? What are you thinking, Yoda? <laughs> I don't get it. I also don't like there's like so many celebration scenes in these movies. Like, the one at the end of this one is so unnecessary. Like, what are they celebrating exactly? I mean, I, I think you actually helped me figure this out, Joe, because I didn't realize yeah. all the stuff about the Naboo, the Gungans and all that. Um, mm. But yeah, it really, it, it irked me even more. Like, in Return of the Jedi, the most current special edition, they, like, add in more scenes of, like, the Naboo planet celebrating mm-hmm. and the Gungans celebrating. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's too much. I, I did like that music at the end, though. Of <laughs> uh, Jedi or this one? No, this one. I I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I think John Williams gave it a hundred percent to the point where I think he like literally ripped himself off for a lot of the Harry Potter music. Uh, mm. Like, there's that theme when they're in the underwater sequence, like going around with the fish. And I think that's literally like the Hogwarts theme mm. almost. That spooky, like like a lot of flutes or whatever. But so, all right. So then, the end scene at the very end. The queen presents a sparkly globe and he holds it up and is like, peace. And I'm like, what is that? What am I supposed to take out of that? It's Donald Trump's weird glowy orb. Oh no. Yeah. It's a is new this world supposed order? to be special? I don't know what that's supposed to be. I don't know. Yeah, search me. <laughs> that was really odd. They don't explain it, it just says Padme presents a gift of thanks to the Gungans to establish peace. Mm. Man, on paper, this cast at this time should have been uh, slammed up. Mm. Um, oh, one really weird thing that Eric and I noticed uh, at the very end of this film, like after all the credits and something, you clearly see and hear that it says breathing without any explanation of what oh yeah after the credits what the last caption i don't know if it's a disney plus artifact or what it's (laughs) maybe that's like a maybe that's a retcon and they're like darth maul is alive Uh, yeah Uh, we wish he showed up in solo like Mm -hmm. a weird hybrid robot thing oh yeah he does show up again in clone wars with robot legs yeah i know i hear he has a good arc I'm also reading there was a bunch of famous actors doing bit parts. Does Darth Maul have like face tattoos? Is that why he's like? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Let's like bring that. that up. Yeah. None of the other, uh, I don't know what they're called, Malians. None of them have that kind of face tattoo stuff. They're all just like mm. red. Yeah. He's the one who's kind of like self mutilated himself because he's so hardcore. <laughs> and the horns, the horns are his race or whatever, right? 
Yeah, I think so. Oh, so they're like red and horned, and he put black tattoos on, basically. And again, I guess Lucas is doing the thing we were just complimenting the original movies about. Like, he's setting up all these, like, very vague implications. Like, what are the midichlorians? Who are these dark small aliens? Like, mm. what are the Gungans really like when they're not just Jar Jar? But then, I guess, maybe taste had changed or something. Like, people 20 years after the fact weren't as accepting of that kind of storytelling. Mm. If we had to do a quick ranking, like, how would we rank the prequels? Like, like I'm not going to say all nine movies, because that would take forever. But uh, just of the prequel trilogy, how would we... Maybe rank those. Uh, Joseph, if you want to go first. All right. Uh, biased, but I would put episode one as number one, then episode three because I don't know. There's just a lot of cool things in that one, and then episode right. two because I can't stand the romance scenes. It's oh, so it's bad. <laughs> You're not like sand. You're nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I love you so much. I think that's what it is. Yeah. No, uh, my ranking would be similar. I would actually say 3 1 2. Um, again, I'm pretty sure 3 is the only story that Lucas actually wanted to tell, and the other ones were kind of like making stuff up along, along the fringes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I like the darkness in 3 and like, you know, all the horrible stuff that happens, and we actually see Anakin fall to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And we have to, and we get to see Palpatine having so much fun, and, and I think Yoda is represented pretty well in that one. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of good stuff in that one, uh, and they got some great soundtrack and all that stuff. Uh, and yeah, uh, all the reasons we've listed already, uh, I would bump up one from where I had previously ranked it as like maybe my bottom of all of them. But uh, and then, mm. like you said, just a lot of CGI and a lot of nonsense, and I don't know, it doesn't make any sense, Erica. <laughs> Oh gosh, I don't know. I you yeah, have to, uh, you don't have to. I don't know about the difference between one and three, but I do remember like not understanding two, and I think we had talked about how like um, the Clone Wars, yeah, happened like in between movies and off, oh, yeah. off camera, and so I always found mm-hmm. that confusing. Like I didn't know what was going on basically. If I if I wasn't yeah. like really paying attention to all the Senate stuff, I had no idea what was going on. No, that's the weird thing. Like, these are called Star Wars, but all the wars seem to happen, like, off-screen or, like, filled in in the shows and novels and comics and stuff. But, yeah, like, we see the very start of the Clone Wars at the end of Episode 2, you know, that weird fight. Uh, And then we see the end of the Clone Wars in Revenge of the Sith. You know, like, okay, I guess some exciting stuff must have happened in between. Uh, and and you, again, you don't really see Anakin and Obi-Wan ever be like chummy or like friends or any of that. Like they just keep talking about how they're such great friends. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of Batman and Robin uh, from the similar era, where like they're supposed to be partners, but they're just kind of constantly fighting the whole time, mm-hmm. nitpicking each other. I don't know. Strange. Uh, yeah. Anything we also want to say about like the Disney era and the sequel movies and any of that stuff, like by comparison? I think, yeah, I think some of that stuff actually makes the prequels look better, uh, like Joe, you were saying, that mm. they're more original, like, take chances and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I, I liked the new movies. <laughs> like, Last Jedi, <laughs> I thought was awesome. Uh, that's yeah. my favorite one. Um, right. The episode nine was all over the place. Um, yeah. And I, That's the I, one where I think they held a gun to J.J. Abrams' head and like, yeah, no, <laughs> or else, <laughs> yeah, um, it was convoluted. But I remember when Force Awakens came out, like was I was huge. super excited, and I was really happy with it. I liked it. 
Yeah, no, I was super into that movie, and I still think it's pretty good. Um, I do think it is a little too much in retrospect of just being like, we're introducing all these things, we're not actually going to follow through in any mm-hmm. coherent way. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was like, okay, they got Star Wars back. You know, I think Kathleen Kennedy put a ton of work into it behind the scenes of like, what is Star Wars? Like, how mm-hmm. do they get back on track? Since the perception at the time was the prequels weren't that great, or whatever the people said. Mm. Yeah, and I think The Last Jedi is definitely the most ambitious. It takes so many like swings mostly connects uh, I mean I know people don't like the whole casino planet stuff but the whole point of that is that like sometimes people fail like I feel like people just don't understand the basic theme of the movie which is weird because mm-hmm. Yoda says it uh, and then yeah Rise of Skywalker uh, just don't bring Palpatine back why, why mm-hmm. do that just have Kylo Ren be the big bad and have more of a fraught whatever connection and Lando comes back for no reason and like so much just like people running around and like talking high tones of voice but nothing makes sense <laughs> I don't know not a fan yeah and I think people were really into the Mandalorian and I, uh, I still am uh, I don't think people liked Boba Fett very much mm-hmm. um, I liked essentially Kenobi but I think they could have edited it down I think people have done that like done a fan edit that, that proves things that might insert some of the music from the prequels to make it more like symbolic um, actually mostly liked Solo too, and I think that had more to do with the directors mm-hmm. they fired um, Rogue One is awesome, and Andor mm-hmm. like, is even more awesome than that, and actually does the political stuff really well, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, probably forgetting something, but that's all I have to say about the sequel. Mm-hmm. Erica, any thoughts on that? Oh, just that, yeah, with like, especially, well, with the prequels and now the sequels, I just am really seeing how it's uh, the Palpatine show. It's like, he right. made Anakin happen. So he, therefore, he made all the Skywalkers happen. He made Rey happen, essentially. He mm-hmm. created uh, Vader right, out yeah. of Anakin. Like, what does he not have his hands in, basically, mm-hmm. in this universe? He's doing everything. So the Skywalker saga in Totem is basically a force meme. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Force this family to happen. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's something that really drove me crazy about the rise of Skywalker is they kept... Like, I think the lead-up to the film, like, I think they are kind of covering their butts a little bit, but it was just kept being like, this has to be the big ending to nine films. It's like, no, it doesn't. It has to be the ending to this, like, one trilogy you set up. Mm-hmm. In lots of ways, like, what? Yeah, I But I that. think that's just cover. But it was not bad. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> now that we're wildly off track, off topic, I don't know. What do we... What else do we have to say? I guess, I guess we've kind of covered it all. I think it was a good return to Star Wars after, like, decades of a break. I think it also was, like, uh, maybe the opposite effect of what I said before. Like, somehow Star Wars got built up so much in people's minds, and they were like, it's kind of like reading a book, and, like, it's your favorite book, and then they make a movie about it or whatever, and you're like, ugh, they've changed this and that. So it's kind of the same thing of, like, people had this idea if this is what Star Wars is, and then presented it with something that's so totally different. Like drawing from these Venetian uh, looks and all this like Blade Runner influence because we hadn't seen Coruscant at all up to that mm. point. We just talked about it. So yeah, I think it is just like that kind of clash of like taste or something. Blade Runner hadn't even happened yet when Star Wars came out. So right, uh, yeah. And Star Wars had such a huge influence on other films and media, just like making the blockbuster a thing in general. No, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, yeah, any last lingering thoughts or? think we're good here um yeah no i mean i just did want to salute george lucas like i think he is a really interesting creator i think he's done a ton for independent film and you know graphics and sound design like i said at the beginning Mm. 
And I think it was actually a big mistake that Disney just, like, cut him out entirely. Like, why not just give him a little silo and be like, do your Mythicorian spinoff show or whatever. We, mm. we have mm. billions of dollars. Just go do what you want. So yeah, I, I always know. thought that was a little bit of a shame. Or maybe he did have some good ideas for the sequels that they, they threw off everything away. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I know that uh, they just had another big Star Wars celebration or whatever it was that they revealed, like, four new shows. Uh, you know, some of them sound really interesting to me. There's this thing called the Acolytes, which I think is Rey. Uh, you know, they're picking Rey back up, and, like, now she's starting the Jedi Temple again. We'll see what happens mm. with that. I think that one literally had, like, Damon Lindelof and a bunch of really interesting people attached uh, who since moved on. Yeah, and there's going to be some other spinoffs and other things, I'm sure. So we'll the Ahsoka show. Ahsoka. Uh, I don't really know the character, uh, but I do like Rosario Dawson, and it does look, you know, kind of similar in tone to Kenobi. Kind of continuing that thread. Oh, I think there was some other show that's supposed to be like the Goonies or something. Not really clear on that one. Yeah. So maybe Star Wars will fly again. Uh, I, again, I think Andor was the best thing Star Wars related I've seen in quite some time. So mm. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, maybe they'll make Rogue too. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think they've kind of settled down. You know, there was a moment there when it seemed like they were going to make like a prequel movie for every single character. Like they literally had uh, kind of threatened to make like a Yoda prequel movie and like this, that, and the other thing, and a Boba Fett movie, which eventually turned into that show, I guess. And uh, Obi Wan was originally supposed to be a movie. Uh, mm. so, you know, I think they settled down. They're like, we have to protect this IP a little bit more. Like they literally were going to try to turn it into Marvel. Mm. Uh, but, like, looking over Star Wars in general, like, I think they have a little more quality control. Like, Marvel films, it's like we have to have a new movie every two years. It doesn't matter if the CGI is, like, perfect or whatever. Mm. And I'm not, like, one of those effects people anyway, but, uh, but, you know, things will fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, so I think in... I think time has actually been pretty kind to this film. Um, in a lot of ways, you can see that Lucas was really trying pretty hard to bring this back to life, you know, from the special editions on through the prequels. Uh, and I think the reception of this film, like being so negative, kind of maybe pushed him in a bad direction, uh, being more like more of a reliant on CGI and we're gonna like really save money by not building real things. Uh, we're just gonna shoot on, uh, you know, digital video and not shoot on film. And uh, I don't know, I can't really remember much of John Williams' soundtracks for the other films. So I think that also dipped a bit. Mm. Um, oh, one thing I did wanna say, so I think the Star Wars legacy didn't actually live on in Star Wars. I think it was picked up by films like The Lord of the Rings, by like the Harry Potter movies. Uh, you know, The Matrix came out and revolutionized everything, like action and all that. Uh, you know, before that, it was just like Arnold Schwarzenegger running around with a big gun, <laughs> shooting everything in sight, uh, which I love too, but, but you know, it really revamped things. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think the Star Wars legacy did live on, just not in Star Wars. If that mm -hmm. sense. Kind of got like par parceled out. I was just realizing, too, since this was 1999, this came out in May 1999, it made $1,000,000,000. Compare that to The Matrix, which came out in March, only a few months earlier, that made about $500 million. So I don't know, this was huge, actually. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, no, it made a ton of money. Uh, I think it was mostly the critical reception that kind of got to George, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe his other filmmaker friends are like... Like their nose or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think The Matrix is definitely kind of like a cult hit, is what people would have called it at mm -hmm. first. Like, people didn't expect it to go anywhere. Like, they're like, what is this? We don't know what this is. And then, like, <laughs> word of mouth and, and uh, you know, home video and all that. And they brought it up. And, you know, Absolutely. the sequels to that obviously have really a lot of problems too. But that's another episode, perhaps. Yes. 
1999, though. <laughs> what a time. Okay, so I wouldn't give this movie a zero, <laughs> nor would I give it a ten. <laughs> Fall somewhere comfortably between zero and ten for me. Mm. <laughs> I still don't like Jar Jar. I think they could have done that differently. I don't know. That's fair. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, so I did want to thank Joseph again uh, for coming on and sharing your per- perception and thoughts on Star Wars. Uh, I think you you had some really excellent insights there that I hadn't really thought of, uh, mm. like the, the war connection, Bosnia War. Um, yeah, Erica, it was good talking to you on this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of wondering, we've never done this before, but if like we had just a snippet of that song in, in the podcast itself, would they? <laughs> no, they're going to come after it. George Lucas himself will be ceasing to show up. Yeah. Like, I heard what you said. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's like a limit. You can use a little bit of it, I think. Yeah, like under 10 seconds or something like that. <laughs> yeah, any rights. Uh, that reminds me of an anecdote. It's not related to George Lucas, but apparently if you ever meet George Clooney, you can ask him for your ticket price back for seeing Batman and Robin, and he'll just give it to you because he is also like he he agrees with the perception of that film. Like, <laughs> George Lucas should have a similar policy. <laughs> I saw Attack of the Clones in theaters. I bought the DVD for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, so for this episode of Send Amazing Chats, uh, I've been Pablo. Just Erica. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah.